Hello and welcome to Total Recall ASM 19 on the Word on the Go podcast. Throughout this series we're going to be bringing you all the talks and seminars from this year's festival. We hope you enjoy. Bit more, bit more, bit more, bit more. Woo woo! Hey Tim, we are delighted to have you back again. And this time I want you to give an even bigger cheer for the wonderful Olivia. Come and join us, Olivia. <laughs> Olivia, tell us a wee bit about who you are, where you come from. So, I'm Olivia. I've just finished my A-levels, and I'm here with Merge from Limfield. Yeah. Brilliant. And Olivia, would you pray for Tim for us um, before he speaks to us? Dear God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity um, to be in this place, to be in this place with so many young people here hearing you, Lord. Um, many of us for the first time and some of us um, in a new way, Lord. Um, we thank you for Tim. We thank you that he came tonight burdened with a message from you. We pray you'll give him the freedom to speak tonight, that you'll use him as your vessel to speak into each person's life and, this, and that this room will be challenged um, in a way that'll make us change, to make us change to be more like you, Lord, um, in a way that's impacted so much more than just inside this tent that will take this message with us as we leave as well. And we just pray this all in your precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Olivia. <laughs> well, friends, it's, I've had such an incredible um, weekend with it. Can I call you Friends? Can we do that? I feel like we shared a moment. There was a proposal earlier. We worshiped together. We taught together. I just feel like we shared a moment. So I'm going to go with it. Um, I've been really looking forward to tonight knowing that we are going to share communion together. And I want us to think deeply as we, as we look at God's word and how this will lead us to that, to that moment in which we respond. Uh, I grew up watching Italian mob movies. So if I could just quote another great American uh, theologian, Al Pacino, once said, thank you. He said, I once asked God for a bike, but then I realized God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. <laughs> now that little statement is hilarious to me because it captures a tension that many of us experience when it comes to God. A tension that many of us experience when it comes to this thing called grace. If God is forgiving, does it matter if I've tried hard to behave well? How many of us have asked that question in our own minds and in our own hearts? If God just forgives... Does it even matter that any of us have tried hard to, to obey and tried hard to behave well? On the other hand, if God is holy, isn't he just lowering his standard by overlooking our sin? Isn't he just lowering his standard by overlooking our wrongdoing? These are some of the questions I've had in, in my own heart. This is some of the tension I know that many of us feel. And in fact, this is the tension that we find in the story we are looking at tonight. It's a story about Jesus 
sharing a meal with two very different people. A story that we find in the gospel according to Luke chapter 7. And as we read it, it is as if the author Luke is, is testing us. He's getting us to ask the question, how do we understand grace? How do you understand grace? What does grace mean to you? What does grace mean for you? I want you to think about that question tonight, and I want you to journey with me through this story because it's one of the most important questions you can ever ask in your life. What does grace mean to you? Because how you answer that question reveals what you believe about God, what you believe about other people, and what you believe about yourself. And I think this story in Luke chapter 7, this meal story with, with Jesus, it offers so much instruction for us. It shows us what grace is and what grace is not. I would even go so far as to say this little story shows us what Christianity is and what Christianity is not. So what is grace? The first thing I want to say tonight is that grace is surprising. Grace is surprising. Listen to the story of what takes place around this meal table. Two very different types of people in the presence of Jesus. Hear these words, Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This host of the meal, his name was Simon. And we learn very quickly that he was a member of this religious elite group. They were known as the Pharisees. Many of us are familiar with the Pharisees. And you all know that in a minute I'm going to throw the Pharisees under the bus. But I just want you to settle down for a minute before we assume what's going on with this particular Pharisee. Because this Pharisee was not completely opposed to Jesus. There were some Pharisees, some very religious people of his day who were a little bit more open to Jesus. They had heard about Jesus. They wanted to hear more about this man that was going around, who was preaching, he was performing miracles, he was doing wonders. This Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be the Son of God. The word around town was that Jesus was a prophet. And this Pharisee, this Simon, wants to see for himself, so he invites Jesus around for a meal. And we're told three times in this story that he was a Pharisee. 
Now keep in mind to help us understand the power of this story. The Pharisees back then, they were considered to be the guardians of their culture. They were considered to be the guardians of their convictions. Because think about it for a moment. This Jewish land, in their view, has been defiled. They were taken over by the Romans in that day. But they could keep their homes pure by living according to their rules. They could keep their tables pure. Which is why... He is so shocked at this meal when an uninvited guest arrives and she is called the sinful woman, the immoral woman. She was most likely hanging around in the the common area of the homes. And although she is not directly called a prostitute, that is certainly what is implied. In verse 39 of Luke 7, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man, if this Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. In his mind, he's thinking, She is what is wrong with society. She is what is wrong with the world. Why is Jesus inviting her to this dinner, this this place that I'm trying to keep sacred, this place that I am trying to protect? But to Simon's surprise, Jesus welcomes her. Now, I would like to suggest that Luke is telling us this story because we're in it. You and I, we are in this story. On the one side of the table, you have the host. This is the man who worked really hard, who behaved really well in life. Some of you might identify with him. Some of you may have been brought up in a very loving environment, perhaps a very good environment. Perhaps one of the ways in which you've lived your life is trying to to please your parents and to please your teachers and to please your leaders and to please God. And maybe throughout your life up to this moment, you have worked really, really hard. Perhaps you could identify with Simon. He's on one side of the table. But on the other side of the table, you have the uninvited guest. I suppose she is what we would call I suppose what she felt like was damaged goods. And I think many of us in this place tonight, if you're like me, you can identify with her. Maybe some of you throughout the course of this weekend, as we're talking about God, as we're singing about God, as we're talking about sin, Maybe some of you have carried with you this weekend that heavy sense that you just feel like damaged goods. And in that way, many of us can identify with this woman. There's very much that is different about them, but here's what I want you to see. 
I actually want you to see what they have in common. And this is so important, friends. What do they have in common? They are both here to see Jesus. They are both in the presence of Jesus. They both listen to and hear the words of Jesus. And yet, only one of them is transformed by Jesus, overwhelmed with gratitude and joy by the end of the meal. But the other one is detached. The other one is confused. The other one is upset. Now, why does this matter? Because like them, tonight, we are in the presence of Jesus. But the question is, how will we respond? Because I'll tell you this, friends, every one of us in this place will end up either like Simon or like this woman. Every one of us. We'll end up either like this Pharisee or like this woman. Both of them are at the table, but only one of them is changed. See, here's why I think this is so important. A lot of people would say to you that being a Christian is someone who is studying the teaching of Jesus and trying to follow it. But here's the thing. Both people in this story, they are like that. They are both there. They're both listening to Jesus. They're both showing interest. You could say in one sense, they're both at summer madness. In one sense, you could say they're both going to church. They're both going to a church group. And so to see the real difference, we not only need to understand that grace is surprising, but you and I, we also need to understand that grace is revealing. When God shows up in our lives, he brings things to the surface. He begins to make things very clear that were otherwise perhaps hidden. Look at how they're behaving in this story. We're told that Simon was the host, but is he? And in a shocking moment at dinner, Jesus addresses the behavior of both of these people at the table. And in a surprising turn of events, Jesus not only condemns the actions of the host, but he actually affirms the actions of the uninvited guest. Listen to what Jesus says. Follow the story. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. What's the difference between Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman? What's the difference in how they're approaching Jesus? I would like to suggest this. Here's the difference. Simon is interviewing Jesus. 
the woman is worshiping Jesus. Simon is interviewing Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to an interview of any sort, but someday you're going to have to do that dreadful thing called going into a job interview. Honestly, it's the worst. They're like, tell us why you're better than these 87 other candidates. And you're like, I'm a winner, like whatever, you know. I don't, does anybody watch The Apprentice? I, I love The Apprentice. Boo, really? Come on. I love The Apprentice. My favorite moment towards the end of the series is when they all have to like get interviewed and they present their project that they think are going to like, you know, change the world. But in that moment, it's tense. Why? Because they're being interviewed. The interviewer is the one who has the control. Rarely does an interviewer just say, hey, we really need you on this job, so we're just going to offer it to you anyway. No, no, no. The interviewer stays at a distance and is like, tell me, what skills would you bring to this company? Tell me, why do you think you're the one to take up this position in our organization? See, essentially, the, the interviewer wants to stay in control. They'll never let you know how desperate they are. And in many ways, let's be honest, that's like us. Simon thinks that his good behavior has put him in a position to be in control. And many of us might come to think that our good behavior would put us in a position to stay in control. Many of us might think that because we've done some good things in our life, God might owe us some things. God, I've been a good boy. I've been a good girl. Where's my stuff? I haven't committed sexual immorality and I haven't done all these other things. So I would like the things that I'm asking for. That would just be fantastic. But the reality is, is that Jesus is not someone that you can interview for the job of a savior. Can you imagine that, interviewing Jesus? You're like, so how long have you been a savior? It's like, uh, 2,000 years, like, okay. And, uh, you know, what makes you different from all the other saviors, Jesus? <laughs> like, how hilarious is that? And yet so often, that is the attitude that many of us can bring. Like, God, you show me all of the qualifications why I should trust you as a savior, because I want to stay in control. And what's his verdict? In verse 39 in this chapter, he says, if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't have allowed this woman into this room. But on the other hand, we see this woman, and she's not interviewing, she is worshiping. She brings herself to him. And in this beautiful moment, she breaks this expensive flask of perfume, which some suggest was actually something that she carried with her, which was a part of her job in prostitution. It was part of the allurement. And it was something in that day that was incredibly, incredibly expensive. And yet in this moment, in the presence of Jesus, she takes what in some sense represents what is most valuable in her life. And she takes it off. And she breaks it. This is her saying, I have a better use for this now. Her life is completely changing direction. And her tears are the tears of both gratitude and the tears of awe 
she senses the presence of God in the person of Jesus. Friends, that's the difference. Simon is trying to stay control, but this woman is surrendering control. And that is really what worship is all about. And I wonder if I could just ask tonight where you are in this story. It may be that some of us, we've maintained the posture of of interviewing, kind of holding God at, at arm's length as if he were here for an interview. Or are we worshiping? You see, every one of us has a flask around the neck. We all have have something that represents what is so valuable to us. It could be your time. It could be your talents. It could be the the things that you value in, in life. It could be the idea of a career that you have in the future. Whatever it is that you think is most valuable, the core of your identity. We all have this flask around our neck. And the question for us tonight is, who is going to get that flask? Where will this flask be laid? You will give it to someone throughout life. Who will get it? Who will get your heart? That is the question being asked in this story. Where will we lay this? At whose feet will we lay what is most important to us? And what this woman models for you and I is that when we come to Jesus, we are to come with our whole selves. And I want you to see that the difference between Christianity and religion is not, well, one person is really bad and the other person is really good. The difference is simply this. She puts Jesus in charge and Simon does not. That's the difference. She puts Jesus in charge. She's saying what what God wants all of us to say tonight. Jesus, you're not just going to be another thing. You are my everything. You're not just going to be like a little slice of the the pie of my life and how I break it up. I realize that, that you're the son of God and that you alone can meet the deepest longings of my heart and meet the greatest needs of my heart. You're not just going to be another thing. You're going to be my everything. And in that, she gives us a picture of worship. Whereas the controlling attitude says, I've been good God, why haven't I gotten the things that I want in my life? The worshiper says, I refuse to see anything as being more valuable than you. And though I might wrestle with my circumstance, I might wrestle with what is happening in my family right now. I might wrestle with what's happening in school right now. I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you. Now, am I saying that a Christian is a person who's just more passionate and and more committed and more loving than other people and that's why they get accepted by Jesus? No. Jesus doesn't say on that night, Simon, if you just worshiped a little bit harder, if you just had like your hands a little bit higher in the air tonight, then I would accept you. See, the reason I think this is important to say is because many of us, we fall into the trap of thinking that, man, if I'm just passionate enough, God is looking down at heaven saying, well, 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 look who showed up to the tent. Who's got their hands raised the highest? Who's doing scissor hands? Like, okay, yep, you're accepted. 
and you're accepted. See, many of us think that we're going to be accepted by God depending on how passionate we are. That's not what it says. Jesus didn't say, Simon, if you were just like a little more weepy, that would be fantastic. No. What was the reason? What made the difference? And this leads to the most important thing that I want you to hear tonight. Grace is not only surprising and revealing, but grace is absolutely healing. The grace of God is absolutely healing. Here are two people. They both believe in God. One of them says, yes, while the other says, eh. And the difference is this, and please hear this. As in a few moments, we're going to prepare to go into a time of communion. Please hear this. The difference is in how we understand our debt. The difference is how we understand our debt. Jesus told them a story, listen. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, that's right. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. And so she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. And then Jesus turned and said to the woman, you are forgiven. Friends, this parable shows us something astounding about sin. Jesus is the lender. Both Simon and the woman, they are the debtors. And what's the difference? What is the difference? Jesus could have said this in a number of different ways, but here's the point. Though their debt was different, they were both unable to pay. Please understand that. Though their debt looked different, they were both unable to pay. Legally, you'll learn about debt in a few years. It's terrible. <laughs> they were both in the same legal position. And Jesus says, I am the lender. He says to us all, I am the lender. Everything good you have comes from me. The woman, for most of her life, was living independently of God. She was rejecting God way, God's ways. But Simon was also living independently from God. He was trusting in his own goodness. It was a way of avoiding God as his own savior. And that is the definition of sin, a desire to live independently of God. And to everyone, Jesus says, you're all in this, the same position. All of us tonight, we are unable to pay our debt. And though Simon may not have broken as many commandments, he, like us, or all in the same position. And this is what transforms us. When we see the depth of our own debt, 
we then begin to see the greatness of God's grace. Because how does a lender forgive? How does a lender forgive? By absorbing the debt. If you stole 5,000 pounds from me tonight, which I don't have, by the way, so like, don't grab me on the way out. If you stole that money from me tonight, and then you went on this wild weekend in Glenarm, I don't know how you would spend 5,000 pounds, but you'd probably be creative. I bought a boat, and it was a party boat. And you spent it all and you came back to me and said, Tim, I'm so sorry. I've taken 5,000 pounds from you. And in that moment, I said, I forgive you. You do realize what's happening there. It's more than just words. I am choosing to absorb the debt. I am choosing not to make you pay me back. I am choosing to take the loss on myself. And friends, this is what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He said, all of you are in debt against a holy God. But I love you so much that I am coming into this world. And I'm going to go to this cross. And I'm going to take all of the debt that you have ever owed to me. And I'm going to absorb it all all upon myself when I die on the cross for you so that you would never be forsaken, so that you would never have to pay into all eternity, but so that you could know, like this woman, that you are forgiven. This is what happened when Jesus died on the cross for you, when Jesus died on the cross for me. He took our debt. And notice in forgiving this woman and in forgiving us, Jesus did not lower his standard. Jesus lowered himself. He does not look on our sin and say, it doesn't matter. It's fine. He says it does matter. And it is huge. But I am going to pay it. And the story ends. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. The woman was not forgiven because of her love, because of her passion. She was forgiven because she trusted in Jesus. See, Simon thought he deserved to, to be at the table. And if you think you've earned a place at God's table, then you're going to live the rest of your life either lifting yourself up or beating yourself up. When you're doing well, you're going to think, I'm pretty great and these rest, the rest of the people suck. <laughs> but when you're doing badly, you're going to think, oh, get it together. You're going to be like beating yourself up. And that is how I lived so much of my life. But a Christian is a person who understands this. God does not bless us because he owes us. He blesses us because he loves us. And the difference is huge and this woman left in peace none of us have a right to the table but every one of us has an invitation not because we are good but because he is good friends here's what grace means for you here's what grace means for me grace means a clean start Grace means a new heart. Grace means you are forgiven. Grace means you can go in peace. There is no one so good in this place who does not need to be saved. And there is no one so bad in this place that cannot be saved. It means you are free 
to acknowledge your sin. You are free to acknowledge your shortcomings without lying, without faking it, without pretending. Grace means you can be honest about your past. And this has changed my life. When I was younger, when I was in my, my teen years, I, I began to do a lot of stupid things. And I know some of this is so cliche, but started using drugs, started being an idiot. But at a fairly young age, I became very sexually active. It was something that was so normal in the area in which I, I grew up. But things began to get dark very, very quickly. And any kind of shame and guilt that I felt, I just ignored it and I just kept pressing on, thinking, nope, this is what I want to do. And when I was about 16, I, I got a girl pregnant. I didn't want to deal with the consequences. And because I didn't want to deal with it, she didn't want to deal with it, I said, I will pay for the abortion. So at about 16 years old, the age of many of you in this room, I paid for my first abortion. And I say first because there was more. And over the next coming years, I carried this, this shame and this guilt in my, in my own heart. Because you know what? I thought I was way too far down the road. Christians would try to reach out to me and I just thought, I don't even want to deal with this. And I'm just too far gone. Like, I'm damaged goods. I don't know if some of you feel like that tonight. But a few years later, I was invited to this really cheesy Christian event. It was so cheesy. But the preacher got up, preached the gospel. And that day, I wept like I've never wept before. And I gave my life to Jesus. There was snot coming out of my nose. It was disgusting. I was the oldest kid there. These 13-year-olds are looking over at me at the altar call like, what's he doing? <laughs> and I knew in that moment I was forgiven. Fast forward some time later, I met this girl named Lindsay. I met her at a Bible school that I later on attended. And I was like really into her. I didn't know if she was into me, but it took a while. And when things started to get serious, I knew that I was going to have to share my story with her. I knew I was going to have to share how I had lived and what I had actually done. And I remember the night before I shared this, this story with her, I had, it was like all these feelings of shame and guilt just kind of came up. And I was, I was bracing myself to know that here's this amazing Christian girl. And I just feared that as I shared the story with her, as I told her how I was damaged goods, that she would just reject me and I'd have to be okay with that. And so I braced myself for this moment, and as I began to share, I began to share about, you know, everything that I had done, that if we were to get married, I'd have to get checked for STIs and all this kind of thing, and I was just bracing myself in, in tears for this moment. And at the time I shared, just one of the most incredible things happened to me, and I will never forget it. That girl, Lindsay, she looked at me after I shared everything that I, I had done, and she said, I see you as clean. It doesn't matter what you've done. I see you as clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. Friends. And 18 years later, she's never changed her mind. 
and bring me. Here's what I want to say to you as we pray. You might be sitting there thinking, who wants damaged goods? Jesus does. Jesus does. He loves you. There is nothing so bad that you have done that you cannot, in this moment, be immediately forgiven. Immediately clean immediately restored. Would you bow your heads? We're going to sing and reflect. And after that, we are going to be led in a time of communion, an incredible time for us to respond to what Jesus has done. But before we do that, and before I pray right now, if that's you, and you just feel like I'm damaged good, there's no way that I, I could be saved, and you want to know tonight that you are, you wanted to know tonight that you are saved, that you are clean, that no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you have committed, you are forgiven, full and free. If you want to know that, just put your hand up right now. Just put it up nice and high. Just put it up nice and high. I see you. God bless you. I see you, God bless you. You do not need to be ashamed. I see you, God bless you. I see you. If you've held your hand up right now, just know that's an act of you saying, Jesus, I trust you as Savior. And we pray this together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came and took the debt that we owed so that we could get the life that you deserve. And I pray that those people who have just raised their hands right now would know, as they've said from their hearts, Jesus, save me, that they are clean. That you take them from being damaged goods to trophies of grace. Father, may they know that right now. And for us all, I pray that as we respond and as we take communion, that we would know that we are forgiven, that we are accepted. The best we know how, God, we take everything that's important to us and we lay it at your feet. And we give you the control and say that you are good. Thank you for listening to Word on the Go. For more information about the festival or to contact us, please visit us at www.summermadness.co.uk forward slash festival or reach out to us across our social media platforms.